Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome all of you to another of the Burning Coal Theater Company's podcast series, Into the Fire, a podcast on all things theatrical, with today's guest, Randolph Curtis Rand, who will be playing the title role in King Charles III by Mike Bartlett, April 12th through 29th here at the Murphy School. Randy, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you back again. Uh, Randy, uh, you, you came first here uh, in our very first season and actually did a couple of plays. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Um, I found out, I don't even remember how I found out, but I found out uh, that Rebecca Holderness, who we both know, um, the director that we both worked with, um, was coming down here and doing, um, I think it was uh, Love's Labor's Lost. And uh, I, had, I had done the play before and had played the part of Don Armado. And uh, I think both of those things are, are pretty remarkable in themselves that actually uh-huh. somebody that had ever done it, that that had ever done it before. Role. Yeah, <laughs> or that somebody had ever done it before. Right. And, uh, and I called up uh, Rebecca and asked her if I could. Uh, uh, well, I should say I, I, I liked the play a lot and I liked that part a lot. I so. So uh, I had done it with uh, Karen Coonrod the first time I did it. And, uh, Who ran a company in New York for many years? And, uh, yeah, in New Jersey, and in New Jersey before that, okay. um, called Arden Party. Arden Party, yeah. Yeah, and um, so um, I, I called her up and asked her if I could, uh, if I could do the part, and, uh, and she said yes. So that's, that's how it happened, and I remember I was living in... Uh, uh, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, at the time, and uh, the fellow Z- Xander uh, uh, Stefano, uh, yeah, yeah, Stefano, who was also in the show, uh, drove up in his car, and I ran down with my bag and put it in, and we we drove down here. And, no, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and we drove in uh, in time for the read through. Okay, <laughs> we made a straight drive from from Brooklyn to here. Xander was not in Fort Greene, uh, I no. presume. No, he was no. somewhere else in New York at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's in maybe Georgia now. Or oh, is he? Alabama, something like that. Oh, I yeah, didn't know that. teaching the la- at a college there. Oh, the last I had, I had uh, contact with him he was, was when he was in L.A. In L.A., yeah. For he, so long. He took a job teaching at a college. I, I think it's al- actually Alabama. Huh. And as far as I know, he's still there. Xander, if you're listening to this, get in touch. Say hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of unusual occurrences, <laughs> yeah. if you happen to be listening to this podcast, Podcast. Uh, and then you continued with us, uh, and so you uh, were maybe the only actor, I guess David Henderson would be the other who did more than one show in our first season, because you came back for Pentecost as well. That's right, that's right. I forgot. I forget that that was still the first season. Do you remember the, the photographer that came to shoot a, a rehearsal of that? Do you, do you remember that inc- incident? Uh, no. There was, a, there was a guy from the News and Observer. He was a stringer. You know, he was not uh-huh. a, like yeah. a, a full-time person. But he came and he said, I've only got a half an hour because my daughter's got a swim meet I have to go photograph. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm only going to shoot for half an hour and then I've got to run out. So he started shooting at the beginning of the rehearsal and a half an hour in, he left. And we rehearsed and rehearsed and around 10 o'clock 
he came back <laughs> and he said, I just had to see more of this. I just couldn't stay away. And so he came back to shoot more. And I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe we've got something going. Something going, going here, yeah. yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was fantastic. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it was, uh, it was a, a fun first year and uh, very much a seat of our pants first year. But you've been back many times mm -hmm. over the years. You have uh, written uh, pieces for us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of which was Uncle Tom's Cabin. Your uh -huh. own adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin, which you and uh, Doug, Douglas Carter Bean uh, did at the drama department. Is that correct? That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That actually came about through... Uh, Doug Doug Bean he wanted to do a um, he wanted to do a uh, melodrama a 19th century melodrama and so um, the way drama department used to work uh, uh, another theater company I used to be involved with that no longer exists yeah. <laughs> there's a record there's a trend there I'm sensing <laughs> and uh, uh, is that we used to sit around uh, in Doug's living room and, and read plays. Yeah. And, and anyone could bring something in to read. And, uh, but that company um, was kind of the opposite of most companies because most companies, you know, you start a company in order, uh, to, you know, so you're doing something, you know, yeah. you know, you're just out of college or something like right. that, you know. And so you're doing something and you're finding your artistic voice and you're uh, building a, an audience and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and eventually you want an agent and be famous and things like that. So uh, the drama department started because it was all, and it was because we were all of Doug's friends. Everyone had a career already. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was people like John Cameron Mitchell and uh, Peter Frechette and, uh, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The guy that wrote um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Uh -huh. um, Interesting. He, he was a part of it too. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, Cynthia Nixon. How many were in the? Oh, really? Cynthia yeah, Nixon was. Yeah. How many people were in the company altogether? Well, altogether, I don't think we ever had a full photo shoot of everybody, uh -huh. but uh, it was big. It was a big. It was like over twenty people. Over twenty. So, yeah. and and so many of them would gather in his. Uh, yeah, department. and and somebody brought something in. Uh, you know, uh, Peter Head, Peter Hedges. There we go. Peter yeah, Hedges yeah, yeah. Uh, would bring something in. Uh, we did a reading of Peter Pan that I that I directed, and and Peter was like, uh, he wanted to be he 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 just wanted to be one of the Lost Boys. That that's what he wanted to do. He was so determined. Um, and we would sit around and we would read things. And then if something sort of struck our fancy, uh, uh, Doug and the person who really ran the company was a guy named Michael Rosenberg, who has just moved from, he was the big uh, fundraising guy from uh, La Jolla. And he's now moving to, I think, the Wilma. No, not the Wilma. The Walnut. The Walnut Street. I think. I, the, yeah. yeah. I think. I think that's where he's going. Um, anyway, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's the McCarter. McCarter. He's going oh, to. In Prince, at Princeton. Yeah, yeah, he's going to the McCarter. But anyway, he was our company manager, and he really ran us. Yeah. He, and he did it very, very well. But Doug's, Doug Bean's uh, uh, aesthetic is, is uh, at least as far as I know, is quite light and frothy and uh -huh. in the best possible way frivolous yeah. I think uh, and and Uncle Tom's Cabin is not any of those things well so how did that, happen? that was a little uh, that was me mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and 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 then I have to say it was Doug and Michael just kind of supporting me in that um, when, when I told a couple of friends of mine that we were doing this reading of Uncle Tom's Cabin and we started with um, 
I think the name is Aiken, George Aiken's, uh, which is yeah. the most known or done uh, 19th century adaptation of, of Uncle Tom's Cabin, right. sage adaptation. Um, and I told a friend we were doing it, and, and she said, well, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin isn't a, isn't a play. It isn't even a book. It's like a phenomena, yeah. you know. And, and, and that led to research, and then that led me to uh, get this kind of idea that maybe the piece would be more about, or as much about, uh, the history of Uncle Tom's Cabin as it was the, yeah. s the story. The, the trajectory <clears throat> from this uh, e extremely progressive um, uh, tool that, that helped shape uh, our nation's uh, civil rights uh, positions yeah. to something that one doesn't really say except in hushed tones and, <laughs> right. in public. Yeah. And, and, so, and it was very, very popular. That, that production may be the most popular thing the drama department did, the most well-received, I would say. Yeah, cer <coughs> certainly uh, one of them. Yeah, uh, the, the lighting designer always claimed that that was the production that put the drama department on the map. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but... but uh, it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, they, they supported it, and uh, yeah. they saw how we were doing it and the direction it was going in, and I don't know if they... Um, I, I, I don't really know what they were thinking about it at the time, but mm -hmm. they kind of said, uh, um, just go ahead, you know, and they gave yeah. us the time and the space to, about a year, right. to actually develop the script. I worked with a, a, a person named uh, 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 Florine K. K. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, and, then they, and then they produced it, amazingly, yeah. which was the <laughs> very really successful surprising thing. Yeah. You, did you follow, uh, follow it? I'm, I'm going to continue down this path just a little bit longer. Did you follow the, the, the uh, press about it af after the fact? Uh, are you aware of all of that, uh, that there would be reviews uh, of other plays in the New York Times that would begin with sentences like, well, it's no Uncle Tom's cabin, but <laughs> are you aware of that? Uh, of course not at the time. I, we were, uh, at, at that time, in, <coughs> excuse me, in the New York Times, um, there, there was a review section, and then there was a, there was a weekend section yeah. that, that used to recap things. And they were written by different people. And the reviewer uh, had, in, in New York, had been Vincent Canby, and he was now doing other things, and so Ben Brantley, who was pretty um, new in the position, and who was from North Carolina, I think. Yes. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. So. Yeah. Um, so is oh, so is everyone. Billy, <laughs> Billy Crudup, who was also a part of the yeah, William the, the Ivy company. Long, is yeah, is a, is a, is a, a Tar Heel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, his his uh, former assistant uh, was our costumer, uh, 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 Jonathan Bixby, who there then went go. on and did Urine Town. Yeah. That was his big thing. Um, yeah, so so we had a we had a very good review, a phenomenally good review. I got, let me not be falsely modest here, uh, uh, from Ben Brantley, and then in the weekend section we had another review from Vincent Canby, yeah. and then I think even a week later we had another review, uh, not in the theater review, but from uh, Margot Jefferson, right? Um, um, which was a, a that was an amazing African American uh, uh, lady uh, who no longer, I think, writes for the for that, the time. That's so, true. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, um, yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was terrific. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of press about that. 
Um, and uh, and you then brought a, a newer version of that play mm -hmm. down here, and we did it yeah. uh, uh, down at the old Kennedy Theater. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, um, do you like to do that? Do you like to revisit things, uh, work that you've already, you've talked now about having done Love's Labors twice, mm -hmm. at least, that I know yeah. of, uh, and now bringing that down in uh, Pentecost or the David Edgar trilogy you've been involved with a couple of times with us. Do you enjoy that process? I do. I think it's, um, it's, it's kind of old world to me. Um, certainly if you're a person who, does Shakespeare plays? No. You're always going to do that. Yeah. You know, if if I if, if I never have to do another production of Midsummer, <laughs> it will be too soon. How many different roles have you played in Midsummer? Uh, I've been uh, Peas Blossom, <laughs> and uh, that, that that was uh, that was in a production with uh, with Keith David as Oberon. Yeah. And uh, uh, and then I've done Oberon twice. Yeah. Um, uh, and and then I think in college I probably you know pushed set pieces around for a production or something like that. Yeah. To um, so so yeah. If you're if you're if you're doing Shakespeare, you you're bound to do it. You know, several times. I think I've done. I think I've done Twelfth Night like two or three times now. So. Um, so th that you're used to it that way because, and there used to be this kind of th thought um, earlier, I'd say in the 20th century, that you you revisit these plays constantly to uh, hone or perfect something. You know, you always, um, you know, if you follow the the all those actors from the earlier part of the 20th century, you know, the Michael Redgraves and the Laurence Olivier's and all that kind of stuff. And you always see them Feel like, good. yeah, you always see them, uh, Laertes in Hamlet. Right. And then the next, they, the next they play Hamlet and they play Hamlet. You play Hamlet for about 10 years and then Claudius and, and, then, Claudius, and then finally Polonius, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, and that was considered, that was great, you know? And I, I think probably because of film, um, that's less, done anymore and everyone kind of thinks oh I did that although the, the British still think of it in that way the, I, the yeah Anthony Schur uh, graduating from uh, the fool early in his career to Lear uh, most recently in right. his career and, and a number of uh, um, the big roles in between yeah um, yeah, I, I think that's right. We we tend to think of it as one and done. Yeah, uh, to use a basketball term, you know, we're we're um, we're going to say we did Romeo and Juliet, so we can put it on our resume, and yeah. then we want to get something else on there. We certainly don't want to have have that on there more than yeah. once. But I think also that I think it comes out too in um, just a very practical sense of uh, you know, if you're doing the theater, you never have enough time. And so if you've got four weeks, of, if you're lucky, and you have four weeks of rehearsal, then, uh, especially a new piece, yeah. you know, then, then, I, then the, the idea of revisiting is, is exciting to me because you get another chance to relook at the text and, and things like that. With something like Uncle Tom's Cabin where it ended up, it ended up being very personal and a very personal reflection of my thoughts on race mm -hmm. at the time, and um, and 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 this has come up a couple times because e even recently people have asked to see the script, and every time I pick it up, I, I look at it again and I say, 
if I was to do this now, how would it be different? You know, and I think there's kind of danger in that because um, the, that moment, that's where I was at that moment, and that certainly has to have its own um, <clears throat> integrity. I think. Although the world, the world changes and every audience that comes into a room on a given night brings the world up to date with mm -hmm. it, if, assuming it's a discerning audience. Right. <laughs> that doesn't always necessarily follow. But, uh, but you, uh, and you have an interesting uh, background. Your, your parents are from a very broad, uh, d diverse uh, swath of humanity, are they not? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, they were uh, both uh, Midwesterners, uh -huh. uh, uh, born and raised in the in the Midwest. But um, my my biological father was was of uh, Mexican heritage. Uh -huh. um, um, I always have to be very, you know, say yeah. that you know that that qualifier, you know, their heritage. I don't uh -huh. think I don't think he I don't think he spoke Spanish <clears throat> at all, or anyone in right. his family right. probably even spoke it. Uh, and then my mother's side of the family was, um, is, I should say, <clears throat> um, Swedes. Swedish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. both, both uh, different, different times of migration to uh, the Midwest, you know, right. to be farmers and, and work on the railroads and right. uh, everything like that, you yeah. know. And, and uh, <clears throat> my grandfather used to say that, um, uh, like when I was growing up, I'm sure you, when you were growing up too, like uh, everyone had Pol Polish jokes. Yes. And uh, yes. everyone told Polish jokes. And uh, my grandfather used to say, you know, when I was a kid, it was all the same jokes except it was Swedes. <laughs> it was big, you call <laughs> In them the Midwest, big dumb Swedes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> because their, their accent sounded yeah. different or their uh, hair color was different or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, and so writing uh, has been a big part of your life. Uh, and not only uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, but you also uh, adapted. Uh, um, Tartuffe for us uh, uh -huh. very early on, and, and A Doll's House as mm -hmm. well, which were both very successful productions at our theater. I don't know that. Did you see either of those productions? I didn't. I, don't think <laughs> I, did. yeah, yeah. I was supposed to direct the Tartuffe, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah. And and I and uh, something happened. I, I don't know. It's another job, maybe, or something. Yeah, like it's that. often yeah. financial. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. uh, uh, and I wasn't able to do it, but. Uh, uh, I think I even had the cast in place, that if I remember so, correctly, yeah. and I think it was Emma Griffin who... Who eventually came in and did the show. Yeah, That's yeah. right. That is correct, yeah. And through that, we got to meet uh, Liz Beckham, uh -huh. who you introduced That's to right. our company, who would later play Scout in your production of um, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, right. uh, which was fantastic, as well as a number of other things here at the the company over the years. So directing, uh, playwriting, acting, um, and then uh, not many people know this, but you and a, a partner uh, a designer friend of yours uh, have a, a scene design uh, concern, uh, Snow. <laughs> that's true, uh, yes, that's right. Tell me about Snow a little bit. Uh, snow grew out of, um, I, I, I would say I started in this journey as a, as a visual artist. Uh -huh. Um, long ago, and um, I don't really do it anymore. But but um, I had a urge to have my hand in it, at it, and I thought, well, if I'm directing, uh, I think I think of the space uh, in sort of tandem with that yeah. how I direct. Sure. So uh, I 
worked with someone who actually is a visual artist <laughs> and actually is a graphic designer. What is his name? His name is Mark Bovino. Uh-huh. And Mark is, as you probably know, yeah. uh, is a part of this wonderful theater group in, in New York called The Mad Ones, yeah. um, who are doing very, very well right now. Yeah. And they, their last show, Miles for Mary, um, got picked up by um, Playwrights Horizons, oh, and, and just they just finished producing that. Okay. Um, and they're a wonderful company. They 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 develop all their pieces themselves. They write it. They they create it. Uh, yeah. Lila Neugebauer is is a company member, and she's a, fa- a very quickly uh, rising director, yeah. and she directs the pieces. And uh, and uh, so Mark and and um, during the day, uh, Mark is a graphic designer. And uh, right. uh, so he and I worked together on the sets, you know, and right. Uh, right. and to to create the the space, you know. Is this uh, so that that sounds a lot like the sort of uh, t- a classical uh, definition of the Renaissance man? Is that something you uh, uh, deliberately aspire to, or is it a, something mm. you s- sort of stumble into, like? That's a, yeah. Um, I heard, once heard uh, Michael Moriarty actually talk on this very subject, and yeah. and the thing I think uh, that I took away from that was that he said, uh, you know, the Renaissance man is is the is the natural state yeah. of man. You know, to have all these all these interests and in, and to understand the interconnectivity. Um, As opposed to specialists. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, the specialist is in fact a 19th century invention, yeah. you know, and... Uh, uh, like uh, so many things <laughs> yeah. we're still clinging to. Yeah, exactly, that yeah. we're still stuck with. Yeah, uh, yeah like psychology. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, so I, I, I don't think of it as something that I'm, I'm purposefully going for, but I just have this interest, you know. And, and, and the theater, uh, wow, it, it gives you that opportunity. Does, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, well, any of us, you, yeah. yourself included, right? Because you, 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 you have built this thing, right? The, the um, burning coal and, and that. I, I remember a, a, a buddy I had um, that took over a theater that... Uh, Blake Robeson started in uh, in uh, Vermont, and 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 when Blake went on to the m- many varied and storied career that he has now, yeah. uh, it's not lost uh, lost nation, is it? <coughs> no, this is a different no, one. yeah, it doesn't even exist anymore at this company. Okay. And then the person who took over afterwards, um, and then I forget how long he had it. It might be five years. It might be ten years. And then at the end of it, he said, um, "Yeah, it's time to." It's time to go on and try something else. And yeah. he realized, you know, from from the directing and the producing, and, and I'm sure he was a performer as well because you have to be, yeah. and and the grant writing, and the handshaking, and the you know all that kind of stuff. He kind of realized that he was done with theater, and and he was, I don't even know what he did, yeah. but you know, yeah. he's he's now a, you know, he's he's. You know, doing something else. Doing something else completely, yeah. and and yeah. but that's if you're in the theater, you end up being that. All of those things, yeah, yeah. and it can uh, can be uh, uh, something that draws uh, the life out of you in some ways. But uh, <laughs> but then there are good good moments like uh, for me, like watching your uh, Charles in, in rehearsal the last few few days, uh, which has just been eye opening to me. I, I thought I had seen the definitive Charles oh. uh, when I saw Tim Pickett Smith do it, but now I'm not so sure. So uh, <laughs> so that's been really uh, really joyful. Um, 
uh, what haven't you done uh, in the theater that, you, that you'd like to do? Uh, uh, make some money. Uh, there you go. I think we'll have to redefine what we mean by in the theater just a little bit there, Randy. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's, uh, you know, I, that's the other thing about the theater is, of course, um, unlike, again, the earlier part of the 20th century, yeah. it's hard to make a living yeah. in it anymore. And Although there's a proliferation <clears throat> of theaters. Uh, right. There's some, some well over 500 um, theaters that belong to Theater Communications Group, you know, mm -hmm. which is an average of you know, 10 per state in the United States. And of course, th those are not all spread equally across the, the country, but those are the ones that have a little bit more economic clout, you know, mm -hmm. I would say. And, and, uh, uh, and then there's uh, many, many, many hundreds uh, just below that level, you know, that are struggling mm. to reach that level. Is, are we spreading our resources too thin? Is that, is that why it's becoming harder to make a living? Or what, uh, what's going on? I, yeah, I, I don't know if I can speak to that, really. I don't know if I have enough uh, yeah. knowledge about that. Um, um, I mean, it would be it would be an easy target, probably, to say yeah. you know, um, film and other forms of entertainment yeah. are you know are, are contri contribute to that, right. um, uh, because the the resources go someplace, you know. So so yeah. and and there's so much money to be had in film and and television, certainly, but I. And, and also, film and television are is done very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I think people who I think a lot of film people I know would would say otherwise. But yeah. but uh, 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 getting yeah. to to the first uh, go is 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 uh, difficult and time consuming. But once they start working, they they have a tendency to rush through. Yeah, exactly. And everything is done, you know, and if you're, if you're, if you're good, you come in with all your lines learned and right. there's not necessarily much blocking because of the, the shots. The and camera does that The for camera you. does that for you. And yeah. so, you, you know, it, it's done pretty, pretty quickly. And, uh, and, and theater is an investment, you know, both for yourself and the audience. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and I, I don't think you, you don't, you don't do it and you don't stay in it and you probably don't last without uh, a love, yeah. a real love and a real commitment to it and say, I'm doing this. And you've got to call your agent and say, <laughs> no, I'm actually going to go out of town yeah. for, yeah. <laughs> you know. It was a, my favorite. It wouldn't be a, a podcast uh, here if, if I didn't quote uh, Bruce Springsteen, who, who once said, uh, I can't tell my courage from my desperation. And, yeah. I, and I always think about that when I think about the, is it love or is it uh, that I can't do anything else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know that as soon as I walk out that door, I'm lost, you know. <laughs> Well, that's how, you know, uh, 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 John Collins came up with uh, elevator repair services yes. because he, he uh, I think he was in high school. This might be wrong, uh, yeah. but, but I think he was in high school and he took one of those, <laughs> those, those aptitude tests right. and the test told him that he could be an elevator repair serviceman. <laughs> oh boy, I missed that test. Uh, thank God. Uh, 
Randy, uh, yeah, and Elevator Repair Service is another company. You are, they still exist. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> Despite your presence in the company. Yes. And, uh, uh, and Although we done... do say, we do say that with that company, uh, you know, it took them, it only took them 16 years to become an overnight, overnight sensation. success, yeah, that's right. And John uh, is from this area too. He uh, that's right. went to uh, UNC just up the road. Um, and uh, has had a great success with uh, Gats, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, which played at the <coughs> National Theatre in London after after a run here in the states, and has something new coming up. Uh, yes, they do. Uh, Kate Skelsa, who's a who's a wonderful wonderful writer, who is a part of the company, um, and has not been performing with them more recently because of because of her writing. Uh, um, she wrote a novel and uh, and and between the actual production of the novel and then all the stuff that swirls around that. Right. She hasn't been available. Uh, but she wrote a new play for them, um, which they're working on right now, which is called Everybody's Fine with Virginia Woolf. <laughs> which is one of my favorite titles ever. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, um, uh, Randy, let, let's uh, close the podcast by sure. talking just a little bit about the, the current uh, uh, project yeah. of yours, which is King Charles III. You saw it in London when you were over there with us doing the Iron Curtain trilogy in November, I think, of 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, tell us a little bit about the play, if you can, without sure. giving too much too much away. Sure, uh, it's a <clears throat> excuse me. It's a um, it's called a future history play. I don't know if that's Mike Bartlett's term or or um, officially uh, part of the uh, title. officially part of the title. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, but that's a good description of it. It's yeah. a it's a history play, and if again, if you're a, a, a Shakespeare person, then you know what a history play is. Right. And and it's and the one of the amazing things about the play to me is that it really is a history play. It really is like a Shakespeare history play. He structures it like one, <clears throat> from a kind of uh, uh, big uh, crowd scenes that have to be done with too few people yeah. to and and you know where the imagination has to be engaged the imagination of the audience and sound to, effects and, and sound effects and roaring. to like small uh, character parts that people come in you know that there's some that there that you're that that, that the character is kind of funny and there's a kind of class structure that you're talking about yeah. there to uh, long you know woges of of iambic pentameter which are yeah. are, are, are Passionate speeches about ideas, yeah. you know, and uh, uh, and he and he writes them in, uh, you know, he writes those speeches in argument form, which is what Shakespeare used. Yeah. Uh, at various times, he uses kind of Shakespeare tropes, um, like um, like ghosts right. and uh, and certain ideas, and and some of the times he like Shakespeare, he just steals a line from Shakespeare and like and throws it in you know yeah <coughs> and, and direct address to the audience yeah uh, direct address to the audience significant and, amount but it but it's a future history play so it's yeah. it's it's about now it's about the near future right what will happen when uh uh queen elizabeth passes away and prince charles becomes king king charles uh, he's really asking the question <coughs> is is the monarchy uh, valuable anymore mm -hmm. and and if not, what uh, ought take its place? Yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Or what? What you know? What price? Um, letting it go. Letting it go, or yeah. keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In other words, a big issue, uh, yeah. a really big and very important issue, and not just for that little island in the North Atlantic, but uh, but really, it's about um, I think about how 
um, citizens uh, have allowed themselves to be subjugated over the over the years, uh, and why, mm -hmm. and and whether human beings need to do that mm -hmm. to themselves or not. Mm -hmm. and, also, I think uh, the kind of subtle rise of fascism yeah. too, I think, is also a big yeah. big point. In yeah. Very good. Randy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. I appreciate it very much. It's good to have you back in Raleigh, and we look forward to more stuff down the road. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our production of King Charles III, running from April 12th through April 29th, 2018, at the Murphy School in Raleigh. For more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org.